If you listen to this podcast and follow what we do at Troutbitten, then you're a thoughtful angler, and you don't accept the status quo simply because that's how it's always been done. Squall of Fishing designs and creates fly fishing apparel with this same philosophy. Squalla was started by a group of lifelong fly anglers who spent their careers working for some of the biggest names in the outdoor industry, and they understood that essential fly fishing apparel like waders, jackets, sun gear, and insulation could simply be better. So now, Squalla makes gear for us, the like-minded few, serious anglers who don't take themselves too seriously. Check them out at squallafishing.com. Water is essential for life, but for Orvis, it's the blood of the brand. Orvis has been the leader in fly fishing since 1856. No other brand can match the explorative and innovative spirit they bring to the water today. Everything at Orvis is about inspiring and empowering adventure and wonder in nature. Rooted in the vitality of fly fishing, fueled by passion and curiosity for the outdoors, Orvis designs and develops products and experiences providing the knowledge and expertise to enable more meaningful moments and connections in nature. With over a century and a half of experience in the field and on the water, Orvis seeks to ignite that passion in others. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten? Yeah, Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout. Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. I'm Dominic Swantoski, the owner of Trout Bitten and author of TroutBitten.com. My friend Austin Dando is here with me, and we're here to continue this Trout Bitten Skills series with the second installment of tightline and Euronymphing tactics. And our topic is turnover and tuck casting. So remember, this second season is basically a nine-part course for advanced nymphing skills. These episodes are all backed up by companion articles on the Troutbitten website. And there are hundreds of articles about tightline and Euronymphing in the monorig uh, there on the website to fill in the gaps of knowledge. You can certainly listen to these episodes in any order you like, but I do think the best approach is a linear listen from one through nine, because these skills are very much woven together. Let me also remind you that season three will return to the longer form podcast with my full panel of friends. I know we all enjoy that. But for tonight, it's just you and me, Austin. How you doing, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm ready to talk. (laughs) That's good. That's all we need. (laughs) No jokes. Don't need any humor. It might be some sprinkled in. Hey, did you tie any flies today? Uh, I almost did. You know, I thought about it. Instead, I played my guitar. Mm. And then I went and hung on my hangboard. (laughs) (laughs) Two of your favorite things. Yeah. Man of many interests. Yeah. All right, let's get to the tactics. Turnover and tuck casting. So this uh, Trout Bitten Skills series is about the nine essential skills for tight line and euronymphing. These are really the necessary parts of delivering and drifting a nymph on a tight line system. And all of this is about the process of casting and presenting a nymph to the trout in the most natural way possible. That's the goal, right? Yep. And done well, these skills blend together one to the next. All right, here they are again. Think about these as I run through all nine. Uh, Visualize what you would do on the water in just one drift Mm. from beginning to end. Episode one, we covered angle and approach. Mm-hmm. Tonight, we're covering turnover and tuck casting. Uh, then there's sticking the landing. 
Recovering slack, finding contact, locating the strike zone, guiding the flies, the strike, and putting it all together. Nice. Uh, that's how you put a bunch of fish in the net, right, man? Yeah, yeah. That's it. I always say, like, you, this we can control. You know, we can control how good our drifts are. I mean, we can aim for perfection anyway. If you, if you yeah. can get perfect drifts, then you can kind of be satisfied with that, you know? Yeah, right. That's a good point. You can't, you can't control the, the fish's behavior that day or that hour, but you can control how you present your flies. So, Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. And that. that's the reward itself. All right, so let's do it. Let's talk about turnover and tuck casting. I want to say that this is probably the most important skill of all nine. Uh, maybe it is, because this is the part about casting or delivering the fly. All of the other skills that follow are about what happens after the fly hits the water. Right on. So there are plenty of ways to cast a fly rod and a nymph rig. But I'll argue vehemently that the best way to deliver a nymph is with a fly first entry. So think about that, you know. The fly enters first, and we do that by turning everything over in the air. The loops of the leader turn over, and then the fly is forced down to the water. And that's what we mean by a fly first entry, you know. But why is that such a big deal? Right. This is the basis for how the rest of the drift is going to follow. Mm, so yeah. the first thing to touch the water is what one will either introduce slack or not introduce slack or dictate the path of the drift. If we throw a cast and our, our line hits the water first, that's the first thing to, to drag. That's the first thing to come back to ourselves. Mm. If we can throw a tuck cast and drive those nymphs down to the column and manage the slack afterwards, you know, mm -hmm. then we're at the advantage again. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing becomes more accurate. Like you say, we're going to have a more accurate drift even by making this cast more accurate. People think about accuracy in terms of where does my fly land. Now, that's great. We want that. But this fly first entry allows us to be accurate about where the tippet is going to go. Mm. And I always say, like, that's so important because it's your fly's attached to the tippet. Uh, that's where the fly's going next. Yeah. Um, with this fly first entry, everything else can stay up and out of the water. And like we've said, that's what a tight line advantage is. That's why we're doing all this tight line stuff in the first place. Because, well, that's the advantage, keeping things up and out of the water. Right. And with the fly first entry, only what has to go in goes in. And everything else gets to stay up and out of the water. We yeah. have control and accuracy over that. Yeah, if those nymphs are the first thing to hit the water and we have a limited amount of line or none on the water, we get to yeah. also steer the path of the nymphs too. If mm -hmm. there's line on the water, then really that is what dictates our path. We don't want that. Right on. Yeah, and all of that stuff's common. That sticking the landing and then getting contact and all of that, you know, leading the flies versus guiding the flies, all of that's common. But it all starts right here with this fly first entry. Now, the opposite of a fly first entry is really, let's say, a line first entry. Think about it. You, you mentioned it. Um, if, the, if the line hits first and like sort of the loop unfolds on the water and then the flies right. hit, right, right. then I'm going to call that lobbing. To me, that's the difference between lobbing and casting. A line first entry is, again, you're kind of, the line rolls or unfolds then on the water. Mm -hmm. and we may not think even that it's happening very much, but even if just the last two, imagine this, if even if just the last two feet of tippet are unrolling on the water, that's still a lob. If just the last two feet and then the fly goes in, yeah. it's still a lob. Now, it's not yeah. nearly as bad, let's say, as, you know, if the last eight feet of the leader are unrolling <laughs> right. onto the water. Right. Um, but lobbing 
tends to lay line on the water. And so it's a line first approach, lobbing, versus this fly first approach of tuck casting and turning everything over first with more control. Yeah. Um, that line first causes drag, it makes you less accurate, and you have less control over the whole system. Right. Yeah. So picture this, you make the cast and you're the last, you know, eight to 12 inches unroll hits the water. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to lift my line up off the water to get touch back Mm -hmm. with that nymph again. Well, now we've just drug those nymphs right back into the column. We drug them into other columns. It's Mm. doing all sorts of funky stuff that we really don't want to happen. Yeah. That's a great point. I mean, you said eight or 12 inches, but imagine like I see this very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, where anglers will lay three, four, five, six feet of tippet and maybe even some of their cider on yeah. the water to finish the cast, and then they lift it up. Right. You know? And that's just bad form. Yeah, totally defeating the purpose of what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and if you lift it up right away, you might think, eh, what's the, uh, what's the disadvantage? Well, I'll tell you, it's dragging the flies, like you just mentioned. It's going to drag it across uh, seams, or if you happen even to land everything in one seam and now you pick it up, well, you're dragging it downstream, you're not... You're not allowing the fly any slack to fall, and we'll talk about all that, getting down quicker in later episodes. It's just bad form. Laying line on the water and then even immediately picking it up is a disadvantage. A a true fly-first entry is a big advantage, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you another way really to see that it's a, well, it's bad form. Um, Use a very visible fly or have your buddy use a really visible fly like an orange egg or a green weenie, mm. and then stand beside your friend. Stand where you can see that fly and watch the fly hit. Say we're using this lobbing stroke and watch the fly hit and extra lines on the water. And then they pick that line up and then they think, okay, now i got my great drift position. But yeah. as they pick that line up, that fly, zoop, it goes downstream. Yep. Speeds up, does right? right, all that. I see it all the time. So do you. Yep. We're not saying this fly first entry is you know, easy, it becomes easy and nobody's perfect, but really that's, that's what you should be striving for. I think. Yeah. And tying back into episode one, Mm. that's really hard to do at long range too. So fish close. Yeah. Right on. And you learn all of this stuff close. Yeah. So anglers lobbing instead of casting is probably what I see most, but unfortunately it works sometimes, you know, lots of times <laughs> it'll work. The truth is if you put these tight line rigs in, in almost anybody's hands and they get used to getting the flies out there at all, they're going to find more fish. Their catch yeah. rate is going to increase pretty quickly. Yeah. But there's so much more to all of this. And it really starts with this fly first entry. The biggest misconception in tight line and nymphing is that we're just lobbing weights around. But no, no, that's not what this is about. It can be. Like I just said, you can have success with that. But no, if you lob weights around, you're limiting, limiting yourself. Lobbing is really kind of a quick shortcut, you know, to success. But don't be satisfied with that early success. Understand that if you really learn to cast these rigs and get a fly first entry, uh, just opens so many doors. Yeah. And we said earlier, this can be a really confusing thing. And Mm -hmm. adding to that confusion is the word lobbing also frequently gets tossed in when mm-hmm. people are teaching this or instructing this type of tactic, you know, lob the flies here and just let them drift back to you. No, it's not really a lob. It's what you said. It's a casting stroke. It's a deliberate mm-hmm. cast. Yeah. This is all why I focus so much on casting versus lobbing. So we have that control. And like you say, people are really going to use different terms for different things and maybe the same thing. But that's what we're trying to walk through here in all these episodes. You yeah. know, listen to episodes one through nine, and by the end, you should have a really complete picture of, oh, the way we like to do things. Nice. 
So we're really casting the leader. We want to learn to cast the leader. And really the best way to do that is try casting it without the nymphs or any weight at all attached. No split shot, no weighted flies. This kind of raises people's eyebrows when I show them that. A lot of times we'll be rigging up next to the stream and I'll just pick up the rod and start casting that mono yeah. rig, that, that yeah. long, tight line, Euro-nymphing leader system. Doesn't matter which system it is. And I'll start casting it. And you cast it with good fly line casting principles and it goes. We'll talk here a little bit in the end about how different leaders and rods are going to lend themselves more or less to this fly first entry and this turnover and tuck casting approach. But if you, whatever tool you have in your hand, I always say like whatever leader and rod you're using, see what it feels like. Cast that leader and that rod with nothing attached, with no weight. And if you can learn to do that, which honestly, it's really not that hard. Yeah. Well, then you'll have, you'll understand the tool that you have in your hands. That's a good point. I find people who, you know, have fished a traditional fly line their whole life actually take to it quite well Mm because that's familiar. The concept of lobbing and, you know, hauling weight that's behind you can be pretty unfamiliar. Yeah, that's a good point. It's really a fly casting stroke. You know, we need great loops. That's built with speed and acceleration of the rod tip. Uh, But crisp, crisp stops really between 10 and two, you need that acceleration. I say put more juice in the cast. That's right. Yes, that's what you need. And so many people are really wanting to feel that weight all the time. And we do want to feel the weight. You want to feel that tug on your rod tip. Yeah. But you want to understand that you are pushing with the leader as much as using the weight of the nymph to do some of the casting. With good form and like enough line speed, that loop unfolds and it sends the nymph down to the water with that right fly first entry. And then you, again, you get to choose what you want to do with that tippet and the cider and everything else. Yep, yep. So I just said about casting really is about weight. Think of all, all fishing casts, whether you're casting the weight of a fly line, a lure, a split shot, a weighted fly, or the leader. All of these things that we cast weigh something. And of course, that's what a cast is built from, is pushing that weight around with your rod tip. And that's why you need the speed. Well, you're going to accelerate that weight. And again, that weight, that weight really can be the leader itself. It is. We want to learn to cast the leader itself. And we're mostly talking about casting a 20-pound monofilament mono rig, right? That's how we like to do it most. But even a 15-pound, a 12-pound, a 10-pound has enough mass to cast itself and push those nymphs to a target. You get much less than 10 or 12 pound, boy, that leader, if you stand there and try to cast it, you can tell. It doesn't have much mass to be pushing things around. But for that good turnover, we need to learn to cast that leader. And again, understand what kind of mass that it has and how we can use it to accelerate the whole rig and push that nymph out there and get good turnover. Again, you stand back and watch somebody who's good at it, and you're going to see those fly line style loops. Yeah, you'll see those flies catapult into the water too. It's really neat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about casting that leader itself mm. and understanding that the leader has, has enough mass to push things around. But really too, even the, a single number 16 beadhead pheasant tail, you know, you can feel that. You can feel that right. load on your rod tip, right? Yeah, and I think that's one of the kind of the requirements of, of the leader we choose is that it's thick enough that it has the turnover power, but it's thin enough that we can still cast those light beaded flies or lightly weighted flies or shot with accuracy and be in touch with them. 
touching on the casting stroke, you know, when you come into your back cast, you want to feel that fly line loop un- unroll behind you. The fly straighten out and you'll feel a slight tug of the weight as it goes taut. Once you feel the line go taut and that slight tug is when you come forward with that crisp, hard stop right at mm. the two o'clock. And as that rod tip comes and stops, it sends that shock wave right into those flies and mm. drops them down into the water column. And it just gives you enough slack that you can allow those flies to fall freely without changing their course. Right on. Like that's a tuck cast. You know, the yeah. whole thing starts with turnover. And I often have been referring to the tuck cast as a turnover cast. Yeah. But you're talking about how you want to feel the tug on the mm. rod tip. Totally right. agree. You know, I, I understand that. I always say this is a contact casting system. Some people will refer to this as a contact nymphing system. Yeah, it yep. is. We're trying to be tight and in touch with the fly a lot of times through the drift. Um, but it's also a contact casting system, meaning throughout the cast, we want to feel that weight and feel the performance of our leader too. We want to feel it. But especially here, we're talking about feeling the weight of that fly. Let's say it's a number 12 beadhead stone fly, you okay. know, tungsten bead. And we want to feel that weight, like you said, pull on the rod tip. It, everything extends and it pulls on the rod tip, bam, then we go forward. And then we feel the same thing. We feel it pull and tug on the rod tip Yes. Uh, yeah, on the forward cast, and then it shoots down in. Exactly. I do find that a lot of people seem to want to avoid that tug. I don't know if they think it's going to hurt the rod tip or something. And perhaps at first it even feels a little clumsy. Mm. But boy, you learn that there's a lot of finesse there. Right. Because, yeah, because we adjust the speed and the force of that tuck cast to decide how vertical it enters. And you mentioned giving a little bit of slack in the system uh, so the nymph can fall with a little more freedom. Yeah. I think it can be sometimes confusing, too, of how much line do I have out when I'm casting this stuff? Yeah. You know, if I'm fishing stuff fairly close to me, do I just need a little bit? Do I need a lot? Or, okay, I'm, I'm making this pretty aggressive cast, and I don't have very much line out, but it, it's shooting right back to me. You know, what, what yeah. am I doing wrong? You know, sometimes I find that. It's just uh, it's a balance of the two. It is. And when we're tuck casting, if we're sending that line almost straight down vertically, if we're doing that kind of tuck cast, then we're taking some of our distance away. Yeah. And that's another thing that we need to adjust to, you know? I think another thing that kind of dovetails into that, people are a little timid to to cast these rigs really kind of aggressively or harder Mm. with speed. There you go. You you said put juice in the cast. Um, But that's when it works the best. Yes. When we decide to take the juice out, um, kind of the mojo and the, the magic of this tuck cast goes out with it. You know, that's mm. the whole thing. Right. When you get around structure, you know, if there's tree limbs mm-hmm. and stuff and you're trying to cast under those tree limbs, I see a lot of people want to slow things down and sort of baby it in. Like you said, that's the wrong thing to do. Right. The more speed you have, the tighter those loops are going to be and the more accurate you're going to be yeah. about where the fly lands and how everything else lands. Yeah. That's true. I find that, like you said, if you have stuff over you, if you have brush structure, the worst thing you can do is slow things down because you're going to get stuck right where you didn't want to. Tell those flies where to go and put them where you want them. Don't just hope they're going to end up somewhere. Right. And slowing things down is really too cautious. It's a scared approach. Yeah, doesn't doesn't often work. We all know that having the right fly is another piece to the puzzle. And that's where Fulling Mill comes in. The tactical anchor collection from Fulling Mill is designed to give tightline and euro-nymphing anglers their favorite confidence flies, but with the extra control they need for the perfect drift. As such, each pattern is offered with multiple bead sizes per hook size, and that's a unique advantage. Every pattern is backed by the 200% Fulling Mill guarantee. If a fly isn't up to the highest standards that you expect, they will replace it 
with two that are. Stock up at FullingMill.com or ask for their flies at your local dealer. Tactical Fly Fisher was started in 2015 by fly fishing team USA angler Devin Olson with a mission to bring American anglers the techniques and gear that dominate the international competitive fly fishing scene. While you may have no desire to compete, you can still benefit from the same strategies which competitive anglers use to make them more successful on the water. Whether you want to buy a urine-imping rod, a stillwater fly line, or just some hooks and beads to fill your fly box, we've got you covered. And our teaching materials will help you learn how to use whatever products fill up your cart. Head on over to tacticalflyfisher.com and use the code TFF10 to get 10% off flies, fly tying supplies, or terminal tackle. So we're talking here a lot about this turnover and this fly first entry and setting everything else up. Now, really, a fly first entry is a tuck cast, but that term tuck cast seems to bring with it a lot of confusion for people. So really, let's break that down. So we tuck cast to get deeper. Mm-hmm. If we're working shallow water, I'll often, often have people say, well, I don't need a tuck cast because I'm getting deep real quick. And I say, oh, we still want a fly first entry. We still want that tuck. Because again, we want authority over how everything is going to land, you mm-hmm. know? And so we don't just tuck cast to get deeper. I mean, sure, sometimes, but not always. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we tuck cast to get positioned, right? So it's the same deal as if we're in deep water, if we're in shallow water. We want mm-hmm. control. We want to steer those nymphs. We want to dictate their path. If we get into a shallow riff and we think, oh, I'm going to tuck cast, I'm immediately going to grab bottom. I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Okay. But there's two different kind of ways of thinking here. I'm going to tuck cast mm-hmm. and I'm going to, I'm going to plummet the flies straight to the river bottom, or I'm yeah. going to do a more subtle tuck cast where the flies mm-hmm. still enter first. I mm-hmm. still can lift the rod tip. I can still lift line. I can still minimize any sort of impacts on the surface mm-hmm. and manage the, the level and depth and the speed and angles of the flies after that. Oh, that's nice. And that's what counts. Right on. There's a range of tuck casting. There's shallow tucks and there's deep tucks, and there's a lot of stuff in between. Let's yeah. say a shallow tuck just kind of arcs in, you know? Right and on. And a deep tuck, let's say, is, is straight down, straight in, vertical, with yeah. speed. Uh, sometimes you can even get them to, you know, tuck back toward yourself, you know, yeah. with an almost extreme tuck, what Joe Humphrey's called a downer and upper. Right, exactly. Right? That's where we all learn this stuff anyway, is from Joe Humphreys. Yeah. With the tuck cast. Yeah, so shallow tucks and deep tucks and everything in between. The cool thing is that we really have authority over how we want the flies to go in, what speed we want them to go in. We've talked a lot about angles and tippet placement and all that. But yeah, we get to decide how much we want to force them down in. In shallow water, let's say calf deep water, no, I'm not going to throw a deep tuck, but boy, I'm still going to get a fly first entry. And then yeah. only just a little bit, maybe a foot of tippet is going to go in with it. Yeah. Everything else, tight line advantage gets to stay up and out of the water. I think that's another confusing thing because sometimes when we hear tuck cast, the image of a driving cast straight to the bottom is what we think that is. And that's mm. not necessarily truth. Right. You know? So I think that's really good to clarify. Awesome. All right, so the reasons we tuck cast, to sort of recap things here, are to get deeper quicker, yep, but we also tuck cast for tippet placement, even for cider placement, to get everything lined up from the beginning, you know, and so we want to land with contact or out of contact. That's another reason yep. that we'll tuck cast. You mentioned it, to allow those flies some grace, some slack to fall, and boy, we don't mean two feet of slack, mm-hmm. you know, because that's just going to get ripped around by currents. Yep. We mean... 
just allowing it a little bit of slack to fall. The longer you do this, the more you realize if you let those flies fall to the bottom, they will. Hmm. But if you land with a line first or a lobbing kind of approach, it's going to take a lot longer for those flies to fall than if you use a tuck cast approach. We can use a shallow tuck, but still give those flies a little bit of grace to fall and boom, they'll fall. They'll go down quickly. So that's a, another reason why we use a tuck cast, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think some people will do a tuck cast. Mm-hmm. They'll make a tuck cast, but then, you know, they'll drop the rod tip. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't mean to. And they don't realize that what the fly first entry was is no longer fly. Well, it's fly first, but they've also now just dropped their tippet right on the water again. And they lift it up and they do the same thing mm. as if it weren't that way. Right on. Because I think sometimes there's good intentions, but a bad follow through on what <laughs> that's has actually, happened. <laughs> so honestly, that sets up really nicely for the third episode. That's that's what I call sticking the landing. Exactly. We're going to get to it. But I mean, you yeah. stop the rod tip, everything turns over. And by stopping that rod tip in the right place, then you're ready. You've yeah. stuck the landing. And you know we'll talk about it. You get everything else lined up. That's sticking the landing. And then you don't have that error, like you just said, yeah. of actually following through too much and then having to correct your, your mistake. Cool. Let's wrap this up a little bit with uh, leaders and rods. Um, thicker and stiffer leaders are better for turnover. Sure. Yeah. I mean, even st- a stiffer cider material is better for turnover. Even a th- stiffer tippet material is better for turnover. Anytime you have thicker and stiffer materials, you're going to transfer more power from that rod tip all the way through, and you'll have more control. Um, That doesn't mean we're using the thickest and stiffest stuff we can find, but it does mean that any leader build is a compromise between thick material, which sags, and thinner material, which just doesn't have as much turnover power. Yeah. And we're talking about these leaders in reference to a casting stroke, right? So if we're, oh, yeah. if we're trying to achieve a true casting stroke, then that thicker and stiffer leader material is really beneficial to us. Yeah. If, if we're only looking to lob stuff around, you know, then the thinner stuff might, might come into play. But yeah. that's the reason why we're talking about thicker and stiffer is better for turnover because going back to that casting stroke, it all starts at the cast. Great point. So even the fly rod that we choose is more or less suitable for tuck casting. Absolutely, you can tuck cast with any fly rod. But some, and the ones that we choose, are more suitable for tuck casting. And really, that's that's because we choose more powerful rods. I like a more powerful rod. I don't mean a six weight. You know, I choose a four weight because I yeah. can do a lot of different stuff with that four weight. Yeah, and we want to make sure we can still feel the load of the rod and the pull yeah. of the flies on the back cast, right? So we right. want a fast action rod that still has enough subtlety in the rod tip that we can feel those things happen. Yeah but enough backbone that we can deliver a really solid forward cast and, yeah. uh, you know, follow everything through the drift from there. So again, right. it is kind of like a, uh, a compromise between two things. And mm-hmm. you know, we could go the, the specialized Euro rod tool, mm-hmm. which is meant for the one thing. Um, right. Like you were saying, rod design is really a trade-off. And, and many specialized Euro rods are built with extra limber tips. And in part, so the angler can feel the load of that light leader on the rod and perhaps really light flies. And again, you can feel the load on a seven weight, but it's not as comfortable, and perhaps you're not even as accurate there as you would be on a lighter rod. But that doesn't mean we have to go clear to a two weight either. We can still keep the versatility Mm, in our rod, and I like a four weight. I know you like a five weight best. Yep. Um, We can have that versatility we want and still feel that load up there. But you'll feel the load on 
any rod, especially if you learn to cast the rig rather than to lob yeah. the rig. Yeah. Fly first entry. Right. I like a rod that talks back to me a little bit, you know? It nice. says, uh, it says, okay, I'm ready. Uh, cast me forward. But I also like one that uh, I can have authority and I can put those flies exactly where I want with force over and over again with confidence. Mm-hmm. And you can very much overpower extra light rod, mm. like an 11 foot two weight. You can overpower them with a very strong tuck cast. And I find yeah. that I've been casting, you know, with a strong tuck cast for so long that it takes a lot of slowing myself down to adjust to those more specialized rods. I feel the same way. Oftentimes, if I fish the same weighted nymphs on a, like a two weight versus a five weight, I'll be like, man. Mm. You know, these nymphs almost feel heavier, but they're not. Yeah. You know, the, right. the rod, one, is much more limber, but two, you also get very aggressive, consistent uh, tucks when we're used to having some stiffer rods in our hands. So, mm-hmm. And it's all just what you get used to as yeah. well. Yeah. And we always say just if you want to learn any of this stuff or you want to refine the next skill here, just use the rod that you have in your hands. Right on. All right. Anything else, bud? Quick uh, tight lining word of wisdom. I'm looking forward to the next episode. I think sticking the landing is a huge thing, and I, I love to talk about that. So episode three will be a good one. It will. All right, friends, that was uh, number two, turnover and tuck casting. And remember, there's a companion article for each of these episodes, and you can find the full series of articles over at troutbitten.com. The turnover and tuck casting article has some great illustration panels to show the tuck cast and the difference between lobbing or laying line on the water versus casting and turning things over. I'll include that link uh, in the show notes. So the next skill in this series of nine is about sticking the landing. That's my favorite term for getting everything in line, set up and ready to drift like we were talking about, immediately following that good tuck cast entry. So look for that in your Trout Bitten podcast feed. There are nine episodes in this Essential Skills series, so subscribe to the Trout Bitten podcast and follow along. Awesome, will you read us out? Yeah. So remember, TroutBitten.com is a free resource for all anglers. With over 800 articles, there are stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Thank you for listening to TroutBitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment, because that really does help us. Until next time, friends, fish hard, enjoy the day, and find your life on the water.